0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50, reading through verse 58. Please give your attention as God's word is read in your hearing. Paul writes, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Apostle Paul, in his writings and in his teachings, has what eh, scholars and theologians have called a two-age view of the world. There's this age, and there's the age to come. And that's an old Jewish way of looking. This age and the age to come. But what we see in the New Testament and through the teachings of Jesus and the Apostles is that In a sense, there is an overlap of this age and the age to come. The age to come, in a sense, has already broken in, if you will, through the uh, ministry of Christ, through the new birth that believers experience, through the fact that we are now alive in Christ, made alive in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We experience the reality of the age to come, but there is still part of it, that is yet to come. And Paul looks at this here in this passage in which he talks about the glorious truths of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just a little background on 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, Paul had ministered to this church for quite a while. Um, He had written back and forth and visited Corinth back and forth a couple of times uh, he, we have two letters in Scripture that are preserved that he wrote to Corinth. Uh, scholars believe, I believe that there may have been more because there are hints in both first and second Corinthians of other letters that Paul wrote to them. I like to refer to the church in Corinth as Paul's problem child. Uh, they had a lot of issues. Uh, If you've ever read through 1 Corinthians and if you've been with us through our Sunday School series through 1 Corinthians, you know that they had divisions in the church. They had immorality in the church. They had brothers suing brother in law courts. They had um, misused the Lord's Supper. They had questions on marriage and divorce. They had questions on meat offered to idols. They had a lot of questions. They had a lot of problems. And when Paul gets to chapter 15... He investigates a question that they have. He answers a question that they have regarding the resurrection. Now, most people in Corinth believe that Christ was raised. But what they had trouble believing was that the believer would be raised as well at the end of the age. Now, you may be thinking, well, why would they have that problem? Well, again, Corinth is a, was a pagan city. It was a, a Gentile city. It's in Greece. And there are... Predominant philosophical thought was that the body was bad, the body was evil. They had a rather Gnostic way of looking at things and that their hope was to be liberated from the body. So they saw the body as something undesirable. So why would it need to be resurrected? Why would you want to be resurrected? But Paul, throughout this great chapter, says, look, First of all, the gospel message is that Christ comes down. You see this in the first few verses of chapter 15. The gospel message is that Christ died for your sins, that he was raised, he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, again, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by the apostles. That's the core of the gospel message. Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures, he was buried, was raised again, and was seen bodily by people. And if that's the gospel message and that's what we believe, then if Christ is raised, why would you say that we are not raised? Because if we're not raised, then we're going to be stuck in our sins. And if there is no resurrection of the believers, then Christ was not raised. So he goes through these questions in chapter 15. When we get to our passage here in verse 50, he is bringing this this whole argument, this whole uh, point to a conclusion. And in a sense, the conclusion is this. In order to truly live, we must die. If we want to experience life in the age to come, if we want to experience the uh, abundant life that Jesus talks about in the kingdom of heaven, we have to die. We have to be transformed. We cannot enter the kingdom of heaven clothed in our mortal flesh. That's the point Paul is making here in the last few verses of this chapter. I think of the parable that Jesus tells. I didn't have the time to look this up, but it's in Matthew's Gospel. It's the parable of the wedding feast. And at the end, there is one who comes into the wedding feast and he's not wearing the right clothes. And the the attendants at the door are told by the master to remove him because he's not wearing the wedding clothes. He's not clothed properly. And I believe the point, in part, what Jesus is making with that is that the kingdom of God is one in which you have to be properly clothed. Now, it doesn't mean you have to wear your Sunday best. It means that you have to have a body that is incorruptible, uh, that is not weak, but strong, glorious, spiritual. If you just peek up a few verses in chapter 15 to verse 42 where he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. That's the point. The bodies we live in are corrupted, dishonored, weak, natural. And Paul says, That is not fit for the kingdom of God. You need to have an incorruptible body, a glorious body, a powerful body, a spiritual body. And that's the truth of the resurrection. At the resurrection, that's exactly what's going to happen. So here we see, as we go into this passage this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our ultimate victory over sin and death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our ultimate victory over sin and death. And death. First, in verse 50, let us look at an incontrovertible truth. An incontrovertible truth. Where he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So as I've been saying so far, after responding to the Corinthian questions. On the resurrection, Paul here now is concluding his teaching on the resurrection with what I call an incontrovertible truth, something that cannot be denied. And that truth is simply put this way flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot go into the eternal state clothed in the bodies in which we currently are clothed in. That word cannot, it is, it basically you could say it is, it is not able, it is not possible for flesh and blood to inherit the kingdom of God. I think the another translation captures this idea well. Uh, it's a New Living Translation that says, uh, it, its rendering of verse 50 says this, Our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. I like the way that is put. These dying bodies, right? Many of us are, well, all of us, not many of us, all of us are aging. All of us are at various stages in our progression through life. If you look at pictures, this is what I like, you know, every now and then, you know, if you're on Facebook, you know this, you'll pop up Facebook and it'll say, uh, here's a memory that you know from 5 years ago from 10 years ago from you know however long you've been on facebook and been posting pictures on there sometimes they're cute little reminders of things sometimes i look at them and i see the sorry passage of time as i see a picture of myself from 10 years ago i'm like wow i look different from 10 years ago or even 3 years ago or 5 years ago uh, a lot more gray in the hair a lot more gray in the beard um we are aging, right? These bodies will die. Whether they die um, in an unplanned, unexpected way in our youth or whether they die through the ravages of time, we are aging. Our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies. You cannot go into a kingdom that is meant to last forever with a body that is going to decay and eventually turn into dust. Right? Adam was formed into the, from the dust and then when God curses Adam he says, from dust you came to dust you shall return. Resurrection is necessary. That's why Paul is emphasizing this point of resurrection. It is necessary for you to be resurrected in order to move from this corruptible body into an incorruptible body. From a dying body to a body that will last forever. It is necessary to transform these lowly bodies for the age to come, to prepare our earthly bodies for a spiritual kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom for which John the Baptist paved the way, right? The first words in the New Testament uttered by John the Baptist is, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, then, when he comes out, the first words out of his mouth are the same words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is breaking into this age now as we speak in the Gospels. And and it's continuing to break into this age as we speak. The church is uh, at the forefront of the kingdom of God as it goes forth and proclaims the gospel message, bringing people out of darkness into the kingdom of light. But this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. We saw this just a a couple of weeks ago, maybe just even last week, as we were looking in John's Gospel, when Pilate is asking Jesus, and he says, are you a king? And what does Jesus say? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my disciples would be fighting. And my father would send legions of angels to rescue me. My kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is not an earthly kingdom. I am reminded again of the words of the apostles as Jesus was about to be ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Uh, This is 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the apostles say, now is the time that the kingdom will be revealed. And Jesus says, no. No, the kingdom is not yet revealed, but it, it will come in power when my Father... Sends the Holy Spirit. We cannot enter the kingdom of God in our present state. We cannot go into the wedding feast in these dirty rags in which we are clothed in. And what begins with the new birth, what Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3 when he tells Nicodemus, You have to be born again, you have to be born from above in order to see the kingdom of heaven, is completed. At the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn over, please, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, just a few pages to the right, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting in verse 1 and following. There we read For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now he talks about our earthly house, this tent. He's talking about our bodies, our our physical bodies. And he's saying, look, if this tent is destroyed, if this earthly house is destroyed, we have a building from God, a resurrection body, a house not made with hands, which is eternal in the heavens. He goes on talking about how we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our Habitation, which is from heaven, and so on. He is talking about a resurrection body. We need to be changed. We cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot receive the promise that is given to us in the kingdom of God in this physical body. Flesh and blood cannot inherit it. God must transform the perishable, He must transform our mortal bodies. He must transform our dead bodies into an imperishable body, an immortal body. This is how death is finally defeated. This is how death is fully defeated. When he talks about flesh and blood, that alludes to the weakness of our earthly human existence. The weakness, the frailty of this life. In light of that, how can anyone deny the truth of the resurrection? How can anyone want to go into heaven in a frail, dying body? So that's the incontrovertible truth. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now he moves on to a revealed mystery in verses 51 through 53, where he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. That word mystery basically just means something that was previously concealed that is now revealed. And the mystery is this. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on incorruption. Immortality. The mystery essentially is this not everyone will die before the return of Christ. See, that was what uh, Paul had been teaching. It's like, at the return of Christ, the devil will be raised and we go into the intermediate state. But what about those who don't die at the return of Christ? Well, the mystery is that they will not die, they will be transformed, they will be changed. Now, when Paul says this, he is is talking about the imminency of Christ's return, of course. You are like, well, how imminent can it be? It's been 2,000 years. Well, as I told the students at Heidelberg Youth Camp, we are 2,000 years closer than we were 2,000 years ago. We are one day closer. Each day is one day closer to the return of Christ. And when he returns, of course, those we have put to sleep. And this is the great Christian hope. And we've done enough funerals here since I've been here to know that we put bodies into the ground. And we affirm that those who are in Christ, those bodies will be raised when Christ returns. What is put into the ground is not what will come out of the ground. It will be a glorious, uh, incorruptible body. But what about those who are still here? Well, we will be transformed. We will be transformed. And now Paul's a little skimpy on the details, but what he does tell us is that it'll happen in a moment, in an in a instantaneous, uh, the word there is the word we get Adam from, uh, an indivisible moment of time. The twinkling of an eye, as I understand it, is the, the the amount of time it takes light to get from the lens to the back of the eye to to receive it and the brain process it. How fast is that? I don't know. It's very fast. Okay, it is very very fast. It'll be instantaneous, and this will happen at the last trumpet. That is the the end of the age. In First Thessalonians four, Paul talks about this truth. You know, and these these are classic passages you would read even at funerals and such. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul there talks about the comfort of Christ's coming, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. What were they ignorant of? Well, they thought... The the problem with the Thessalonian church is they thought Jesus was coming like in an hour. Okay. I exaggerate. But that he was coming like real soon. And they're like, but wait, people are dying in our church. What's gonna happen to them if Christ returns? Are they lost? And Paul's like, no. No. In fact, he uses the the phrase there, asleep. It's a synonym, it's a it's a euphemism in 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 Christian language to talk about those who have died in Christ. It's like no. No, they're not lost. In fact, they're going to be the first ones up. Right? Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, again, that idea of the resurrection is the ground and hope of the Christian believer. If Christ has died and rose again, then what? We believe also that God will bring with Him those who sleep in Christ. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, The application of this, Paul says, comfort one another with these words. These are words of comfort to encourage those who have lost loved ones that that person will not be forgotten at the return of Christ. In fact, they'll be moved to the head of the line, right? You know, if you remember your days in. Elementary school or high school, you get into the lunch line and you say, you know, no cuts, right? You don't want anybody cutting in front of you. Well, this is what I don't mind letting people cut in front of me of. When Christ returns, if I happen to be alive when that day comes, and those who have been dead before me, let them go first. Let them cut in line in front of me. They will be the first ones to meet the Lord in the air. I'll be happy when I meet the Lord in the air whenever that happens. But the point here is that it's instantaneous and it will happen at the end of the age When that trumpet rings clear and true, the dead will be raised and then we who are left alive will be transformed. That last trumpet marks the end of earthly kingdoms and the consummation of the kingdom of God. That's when we need to be made ready for the kingdom of God because when the king comes, we have to enter into his kingdom and we can't do so in the bodies that we are currently in. We have to be transformed. We have to be transformed made incorruptible so the corruptible must put on incorruption it is a necessity the corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality it's like that phrase there almost like using a, a way of explaining changing clothes you know if you're farmers and you work out in the field all day and you come home in those dirty clothes what do you do? you take off the dirty clothes you shower up and you put on clean clothes else your wife will not let you sit in the house more than likely, right? (laughs) It's like, take off those dirty clothes before you come in here. It's the same thing in the kingdom of heaven. We are going to take off our dirty clothes. We're going to put on clean clothes, an incorruptible body, a glorious body, a powerful body, a spiritual body. And now Paul moves on in verses 54 and 57 to talk about a glorious victory. So we've seen an incontrovertible truth A mystery revealed and now a glorious victory. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in mercy. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But, favorite word, but, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when this mystery is finally and fully revealed, then the victory will be manifest. When this corruptible has put on a then it will be made fully known to us. What has always been known and what has always been true, that death is finally done. The victory has been finally achieved. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's a good spot for an amen. Death is swallowed up in victory. There you go. The mystery, the revelation of this mystery is the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. Paul, that phrase, death is swallowed up in victory, is a quotation from Isaiah 25, verse 8. And in Isaiah chapters 24 through 27, the prophet gives a series of oracles that, uh, that depict the final judgment, but also shows how God's people are preserved and protected through it all. In Isaiah 25, verse In verse 1, here we see, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. It almost sounds like a psalm. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and true. For you have made a city, a ruin, a fortified city, a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. Judgment. The enemies are are judged here. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noise of aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be dismissed. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on it, on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Death is swallowed up. That I, that picture of tears being wiped away. That's a glorious picture that you see in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 where God wipes away the tears of our eyes. And as I have often said, the tears represent all of the pain and tragedy that we see in this world, this world that has been cursed by sin death is swallowed up in victory and he goes on and he quotes also from Hosea 13 verse 14 and in verse 55 oh death where's your sting oh Hades where's your victory it's almost taunting at the return of Christ we will say where is your sting O death where is your victory O grave the last day when the trumpet sounds, a huge victory cry will go forth as death and Hades are finally defeated. Their power was neutralized at the cross. At the cross was really the death blow of death itself. But we will see its full consummation when Christ returns. The ultimate victory awaits the end. In fact, I like, again, in the end of Revelation chapter 20, What is the last thing to go into the lake of fire? Death and Hades. Death is no more. The grave is no more. Why? Because Christ has returned and we are entering into the kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth where there is life eternal. Death, which came into God's very good creation, intruded, invaded into God's very good creation when Adam sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned. It said that, you know, Paul says in Romans 5, death entered in through sin. Sin opened the door and death came in. It invaded. It was an unwanted intruder in God's very good creation. And it will finally be evicted and cast into the lake of fire. Now we see in verse 56, right, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Sin, like a deadly scorpion, has a sting that results in death, right? Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And the strength and power of sin is found in the law. The law which was given to, to, to God's people, which is a good thing, becomes the power of sin. Why? Because the law cannot save you. The law cannot make you righteous. All it does is it excites the sinful nature within us. But that's why Paul says in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's victory on the cross is seen not only in Him destroying the power of death, but also fulfilling the law and removing the law's demands from us and removing the law's condemnation over us. No one can find righteousness righteousness through the law. The law cannot save. It can only show us our sin. But praise be to God. We are victorious because Christ was victorious. We are united to Him, so His victory is our victory by grace through faith. And then that brings us now to verse 58, a confident motivation. As Paul closes the chapter here with a big payoff in verse 8. What is the payoff? What is the application of this? What is... What is as Heidelberg would say, you know, oftentimes, what comfort do we receive in knowing that the resurrection is true and that we will have glorious, incorruptible, powerful spiritual bodies? Verse 58, therefore, which concludes the whole chapter, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I love how Paul moves from this you know speaking about all these heady truths about the resurrection. and then when he comes down to it, the payoff is in that you can now labor for the kingdom knowing that your labor will not be in vain. Because that's what he says earlier in the chapter, if there's no resurrection, then what is the point? Right? He says, if, the, if we are not raised, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are stuck in our sins, and then you know what? We might as well live it up. We might as well eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, because it doesn't matter. But Paul concludes this chapter by saying, no, it does matter. It matters quite a bit. It is the most important thing. It is the only thing that matters. Our, res- our labor is not in vain. Everything we do in the kingdom of God, whether it's showing love to your neighbor, whether it's teaching kids in Sunday school, whether it's witnessing to your neighbors, whether it's showing the love of God amongst ourselves, whether it's helping set up things in the church, whether it's taking the collection, whether it's giving, whether it's anything involved in the kingdom of God, this labor is not in vain. Because the resurrection guarantees that all of our labor will be redeemed there are many dark days in the history of the church right i mean the darkest day would have been the the death of christ at least for those few days those few hours after his death when the disciples were distraught right but then i love how when on resurrection sunday when jesus is walking he sees the two disciples on the road to emmaus they don't know who he is he's He's veiling his identity to them. And they're like, you know, he's like, so what's going on? <laughs> he walks into, what's going on? Can you tell me what's going He's like, are you the only person? You know, Were you under a rock? Did you not hear what happened a couple days ago? And it's like, tell me. It's like, well, the, he whom we thought was the Messiah was put to death. We had put all our hopes in him, and now he's dead. And then Jesus says, essentially, no, he's not dead. <laughs> he's not dead. This had to happen. Right? And then he reveals himself and then, of course, afterwards he explains to them from all the scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, how this must have been and how the Christ must uh, die and rise again three days later, how all this points to Christ. And then their eyes are open and they say, did not our hearts burn when he opened the scriptures to us? In other words, we now see the truth. Dark days in the history of the church Think about the persecuted church in the book of Acts. Think about when Stephen was killed. Think about uh, when the disciples are driven out of Jerusalem into the surrounding areas. Think about the days of Martin Luther and the Reformation, when it seemed like he was the only one who was standing up for the truth. These dark days, sometimes it seems as if all is lost. You might want to cry the cry of Elijah, I alone and I'm the only one who's left. And then God says, No. Your labor is not in vain, Elijah. Your labor is not in vain, Peter. Your labor is not in vain, Luther. Your labor is not in vain, Emmanuel Reformed Church. We have purpose because of the resurrection. What seemed like a victory for Satan in the garden when he got the the nascent human beings to, to sin against God, it seemed like Satan had won, right? He had invaded God's very good creation. In a sense, Satan kind of took over, if you will. He usurped the kingdom of God from Adam. The Bible talks about how the devil is the prince of the power of the air, how he's the one who is the ruler of this evil age. What seemed like a victory for Satan in the garden is turned into defeat at the cross. That's when Christ casts Satan out. That's when Christ achieved the definitive victory over sin and death, and that victory will be consummated when he returns, and we are resurrected, and death will be proclaimed dead forever. What is only true in part now, right? Right now we live as believers. We have the Holy Spirit, and as Paul says in Romans 6, the power of, of sin has been broken in you, will be fully realized in the last day when the presence of sin and death is finally removed. That's why this body must die. Because it is still wracked with the curse. We need a body that is no longer affected by the curse, one that is no longer tainted by sin. And sometimes it can seem like laboring the Lord is a lost cause. You're like, why am I doing this day in, day out, week in, week out? But the resurrection guarantees that our labors will not be in vain so the gospel of our resurrection in christ combats the hopelessness that we might have in this life and gives purpose to our daily endeavors as we recognize that our ultimate victory over sin and death is found in the resurrection of jesus christ let's pray heavenly father lord what a glorious truth that the resurrection is the ultimate victory of What was won at the cross is now achieved completely and fully and fully consummated at the return of Christ. And let us, Lord, live in light of this, knowing that our labors are not in vain. Let us go forth in hope, knowing that one day this dying body that we reside in will either be transformed in the twinkling of an eye or will be raised incorruptible. And then let us go forth in the power of this truth, Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is never in vain. We pray this all in Jesus' name.